And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Four to six with AMB is brought to you by Game Time, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know that Ohio State ticket prices tend to drop right before the game starts? Game Time tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, then shows you all the best last-minute deals with prices up to sixty percent off. More than twelve million fans have downloaded the Game Time app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. You can also find great deals on Browns, Cavs, and Blue Jackets tickets. It doesn't get any easier than a two-tap checkout. So head to the App Store or Play Store now to download Game Time and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets. The culture is the culture. It's four to six A to B, competitive excellence, and the brotherhood. Uh, the plan to win uh, has never changed. So the culture here and the plan to win is always going to be here at Ohio State. Welcome back to the latest edition of Four to Six with A and B. I'm here with Bill Landis. I'm Ari Wasserman. He taught me how to introduce myself, and we're back. Um, we proud, proud of you. Yeah, I learned. We sat next to each other in the press box yesterday, but I like came into this podcast feeling like we didn't really discuss the game. So I'm really looking forward to doing that right now for the first time, really, and having everybody along for the ride. So uh, Ohio State, if you were living in a hole, beat Penn State 28-17. There were some good things. There were some bad things. There were some human tendencies from this Ohio State football team that we haven't really seen all year. Maybe that's a product of some issues within the program that were masked because they hadn't played anybody who can exploit it, or maybe it's just the fact that everybody's human. Bill, coming out of this game, I think the number one question that we as reporters always want to do when we cover a game is take what this game that we just watched and spring it forward to what it means for the next game. So after what Ohio State did to Penn State, the good, the bad, the ugly, the boring, the fun, are you more on the train of Ohio State is going to beat Michigan, or do you feel like you are less convinced that that's going to happen now? I mean, I don't I don't know how you could be more convinced that Ohio State was going to beat Michigan. Um, I'm, I'm probably a little a little less sure of it than I was a week ago. I thought that was a pretty good win. It wasn't the cleanest win, but if you really dig into it, and it's not to make excuses, excuse me, um, it was it wasn't the, the the final score of eleven points, the final margin of eleven points. I think is not totally indicative of, of how the game went, or even really how how Ohio State is relative to Penn State. There were some mis- miscues in there that gave Penn State favorable situations to get points. There were. Two was it two fumbles in fifty six seconds or something like that of game time, and uh, Penn State got what was it ten points out of that? Justin Fields fumble going the end zone, going into the end zone. That's three fumbles that that changed the game by seventeen points. And if Ohio State would have won the game thirty five to seven, even if Ohio State had one more touchdown and Penn State didn't get those two scores on short fields that were gifted to them by Ohio State fumbles, I think we talk about this game a lot differently than we're talking about it right now. But criticisms are fair of, of the mistakes that led to the game uh, ending the way it did. So my biggest takeaway from it, I think, is that Ohio State played probably its worst game of the year. Its defense was good. Its offense played its worst game of the year, and it beat a top-10 team by 11 at home. Now, I'm not trying to like spin a, a – not a poor performance, but, but an average performance by Ohio State standards into something good because I think they had to play better than they played last week to beat Michigan because I think Michigan at this point, if maybe it's not – pound for pound better on paper than Penn State. It's certainly playing better than Penn State. So Ohio State has to be better, especially on the road. 
um, to beat Michigan. But I, I didn't come out of that game thinking like, oh man, all the stuff we saw in the previous ten games was all bullshit, and Ohio State's not as good as we thought we as we as we thought they were. Sorry, I'm having a hard time speaking. Yeah, what's going on with you today? Sleep deprivation. Um, slash illness. It's okay. We're here to lift you up, Bill. I came into the news conference after the game yesterday, and I said this exact words to everybody, and people laughed at me. But I said, that was a blowout, but the score wasn't a blowout. And then everybody was like, well, in order for it to be a blowout, you have to score a certain amount of points, and it wasn't a blowout because it was an 11-point victory and not a 30-point victory. But to me, I've watched a lot of top 10 matchups in my day with Ohio State. I've seen a lot of games like this. I've seen... Poor performances, great performances, marginal performances. I think it's a good sign that Ohio State played its worst game offensively. And it never felt like the game was in doubt. Ever. Yeah. Even when they were down or up 21-14 and Penn State had the ball on the edge of the red zone after the second fumble and were going in, I never thought Ohio State could lose this. And maybe if Penn State punches it in there, it makes it 21-21. I'm thinking differently, but I honestly don't think I would be. I think Ohio State dominated them on the ground physically, offensively. Penn State would have like 64 yards in the first half and then were gifted 10 points to get the game close from fumbles that, to me, are uncharacteristic and not a big deal unless they happen continuously. Mm-hmm. And because they haven't happened all year, if it happens again, then we'll talk about it. But whatever. It's football. Things happen. And maybe the physicality and the talent on on Penn State's roster had something to do with it. I want to give Penn State credit. But if Penn State is legitimately the number eight team in the country, and I think you can make an argument that they're legitimately the number 10 team in the country, if that's a top 10 team, Ohio State was better across the board in every way. And... To me, I'm just as confident in Ohio State's ability to beat Michigan as I was before. And I can't say that it's more because how could it be more after that? I agree with you. But it was already pretty confident, and I don't think that the things that happened at Penn State had anything that would make me think, well, if this happens or that. I mean, if Ohio State fumbles the ball in its own territory inside their own 25 twice against Michigan on the road, then, yeah, there's going to be an issue. But I think those are isolated events. So... Yeah, You know, I I don't think that even the best teams in the history of college football go through a season without looking like they're susceptible to something. I mean, I know that the number one takeaway from a lot of people was that Ohio State looked human, but I don't know that that's a bad thing. I think everybody's human. LSU's defenses looked human. Alabama, Clemson almost lost to North Carolina Carolina on a two-point conversion that didn't go through, and if it did, that's over, like the Maryland game last year. Alabama, and everybody else is a loss. So, you know, if human is bad, then I guess that that's bad. But And Michigan is, from what I've seen from afar, playing well. I read Nick Baumgartner's column, uh, and he's saying that the pieces are coming together, and I believe that they are. Seems to be. Yeah. But I think that it took every ounce of energy for Penn State to beat Michigan. I think it took every ounce of energy for Michigan to come back and make that a game. And I don't think it took every ounce of Ohio State's energy to beat Penn State yesterday. Or Saturday, excuse me. It just... It wasn't there for me. I, I I don't I don't I know they didn't cover the spread for the second consecutive week. I know they looked kind of weird at Rutgers because they didn't care. But I well, honestly, I was, I what's like? I think that's a, a kind of an important point that for the last two weeks, the Rutgers game is whatever. Like I don't want to make too much of it because they still won by thirty, and two of the touchdowns Rutgers scored were against Ohio State's backups. It was forty-two to seven when the starters came out of that game. But if you watched it, it wasn't the cleanest game. You said they looked disinterested. I agree, they looked disinterested. They just weren't particularly sharp in that game, even though they blew out a bad team. And I don't think they were particularly sharp, at least on offense, against Penn State either. So that's two weeks in a row where your offense, maybe your team as a whole, didn't look particularly sharp against Rutgers. I think your offense came out, and I don't think looked very sharp against Penn State. Now, granted, Penn State's good defense, but now you're going up against the Michigan team on the road, who has every motivation you could possibly think of to want to beat you, and is playing its best football of the year. How much do you think that matters? The spread's less than 10. I think that matters. I mean, I didn't say it was going to be a blowout. But, you know, a team that's confident at home and all the motivation in the world to win is one thing. Um, And Ohio State probably 
doesn't have the motivation to win the way that Michigan does because they've clinched their share of the Big Ten, um, their side of the Big Ten, Big Ten East, and they're going to Indianapolis for the Big Ten championship game. And they could, and I'm sure we'll get into this later in the podcast, endure a loss here and still make the playoff. But how many times did Penn State stop Ohio State's offense yesterday on Saturday? One time? They punted like one pure time? Like one pure yeah. real stop so, that wasn't a fumble. So just like, I mean, I don't want to do straight play-by-play, play, but I think it's just good to know like the context of what happened. It was touchdown, fumble at the goal line that – if he would have held onto the ball a second longer, it would have been a touchdown. Uh, then another touchdown. And then a drive that they were got to the 36-yard line and then had a bad penalty and didn't score. And then – oh, wait, maybe I had that out of order. And then there was the end of the, end of the half um, where they had another sack and a penalty and, like, Ryan Day just didn't push it. So Ohio State stopped its own drives in the first half. And then the second half, they got pretty conservative – and Penn State did stop them a couple times, but Ohio State also didn't seem to be trying particularly hard to get conversions. I think they were pretty content just trying to run the clock out. Then we can talk about that a little bit. But it didn't feel like Penn State's defense was really imposing its will all that much in Ohio State's offense. It just felt like Ohio State's offense was sputtering, turning the ball over, um, a couple careless penalties, and then also a couple of – for the first time, and this is maybe this is worth noting and, and keeping in the back of your head as they go into the Michigan game, um, offensive linemen were losing one-on-ones. Not a lot, but enough that it was noticeable. And Thayer Munford in particular yeah, yeah, I was just gonna say. Had, his, had his worst game of the year. And there were a couple of, of plays where, you know, you don't want to pin one play where 11 guys have to do something on, on one person making a mistake. But there were a couple where it was like, well, if, if – Munford could have held his block there. That play would have ended up differently. Yeah. All that stuff's true. I think the reason why I bring that up, Bill, is because all year, at the beginning of the year when we were trying to decide how good this team was, I think the game we were trying to play, and we and we actually played the whole game on a previous episode of, what are the top five things to be concerned about? <laughs> right? And we had a hard time coming to five. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. So if you take this yep. Penn State game against a good opponent with – as much talent as anybody Ohio State's faced this year. And you use that as context. What is the thing that will get Ohio State beat from that game? Yeah, no, that's a good way to frame it. That's a really good way to frame it. And, um, you know, I don't know because I think if you would have asked me that question coming into the game, and I was asked it a lot last week. Um, I was on like a couple of Penn State podcasts on the Athletic and other places, a couple of radio shows, and everyone asked the same question, like, "What's Ohio State's weakness?" And my answer was always pass protection. And Justin Fields got sacked three times against Penn State. Um, he had a scramble two other times, and I think he had one throw, maybe one or two throws where pressure impacted the throw. But that's still only a handful of plays. It's not like he was under pressure the entire game. I do still think that Ohio State's offensive line has issues picking up blitzes, and and Michigan is going to bring a lot of them on Saturday, not only because they've seen the tape, but also because that's what Don Brown does. Um, so that's that's probably number one on the list of things to pay attention to next week. But it wasn't, again, it wasn't such a obvious thing that, that I felt like Ohio State's offense was being bogged down because of it. I thought that the biggest things that, that kept Ohio State offense from from really finding not its full gear because I just don't think it was going to happen on that day but but a different gear that would make you be feeling a little bit different about the offense right now was was it its inability to get out of its own way whether that was penalties putting the ball on the ground I thought Justin Fields maybe made two or three bad reads in the run game that when he should have held it you mean no because I thought there were a few where he should there have were taken two it or there were it. two the thing that's always hard is like it's always going to look like he has room to run, but that doesn't always mean that there's a read baked into the run play. You have to watch how things are blocked up front, and that's what to say he does. He does from time to time have occasions where yeah, he but should it's, it's hard to identify it. from just watching it. What's yeah. easier to identify are plays where he does keep it and he should not have kept it, and that probably happened two or three times. One of them it was on the last drive of the game. It didn't really matter that much, but he lost five yards on a play where it was pretty well blocked for J.K. Dobbins to run it on an outside zone run, and he kept it and just sort of ran parallel to the line of scrimmage out of bounds and got tackled by Michael Parsons for a loss of five yards. Like That was a bad play because it stopped the clock. And maybe if they don't stop the clock there, then they're when not When he in a ran position. out of bounds, that particular play, it was, what are you doing? Yeah, and then it's put them in a position on fourth and five to 
call a pass play where he got sacked and he got hurt, and we think he's okay. But that play had potentially catastrophic repercussions. Hurt but enough it, to not it, come into the postgame on Saturday. Yeah, I don't know, but I saw Justin Fields like out outside after interviews because I was waiting out there to talk to somebody else, and I mean he was just in street clothes, but he's fine. He uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm not fine. saying I fully, that he's. I fully expect him to play. Um, against Michigan, I don't know. Yeah, no, that's not even a – yeah. Um, but people – no, because I, I I just think it's important to mention that because there was a game where he didn't come out – the Wisconsin game, he got banged up a little bit and he didn't come out and talk. And I, I saw some stuff on Twitter about, like, well, what was that? does this mean he's not going to be ready? Now they had a bye week afterwards, which helps. But I just – I think maybe if we can put those fires out right what, now. What is it, though? Like, what did that anybody find out? Did he get the wind knocked out of him? Or From me watching, it looked like he got the wind knocked It looked like yeah. he fell on the ball and got the wind knocked out of him because he fumbled it and then fell on top of that him. That 30 hard. seconds when he was down on the ground, you could hear a pin drop in that place. And we were on the sidelines standing next to it's each very other. very quiet. That's That was it, you know. Mm-hmm. And I, I just – the thing, too, is – there's another another way that people look at this, and I sometimes I just want to go down this road with you for a minute just to hear what you have to say. Okay, can but I mention I, one other thing? Yeah, sure, issue? please. They had two drops to the receivers. Yeah, which is also bad. And one of the fumbles that he had wasn't a fumble. So you thought his knee was down? Yeah, yeah, that was bang bang. I guess not enough to overturn it. You yeah. can't. Yeah, the ball came out, so balls out. To me, let me ask you this before I make the next point. Do you think turnovers count as an issue in an isolated game? Like, how long does it take for you before you start wondering, for a quarterback who hasn't turned the ball over all year to do it twice, do you think, well, they're playing a really good defense on on Saturday in a rivalry game. If they win that game or if they don't, they're going to a Big Ten championship game and then maybe beyond that against teams that actually bring it. Do you think that that is a concern or do you think it's just an isolated event that happens because the face mask went the wrong way or he got hit harder from a direction he wasn't anticipating and he can work on that and then it's a fixed problem. Um, can it be both? Like, I, it's kind of a cop-out. I understand that. Because somebody asked me that earlier today on, on Sunday. And if it, if you want to have – like, if, if it's in your head, it's normal. It's normal for it to be in your head. And I guess if it's in your head when you're going to the Michigan game, then that, like, by definition is a concern. But – concern and issue or like two different things in I my head issue is it an is it does yeah. Ohio State have a fumbling issue I, I don't think you can say that now because like you said it hasn't it's not something that's been happening all year they've been one of the better turnover margin teams the entire season um so no no I don't I don't it has to happen if it if it happens against Michigan then like going into the Big Ten championship game then I will be fine labeling it an issue but I don't think you can do it off one game so I'm going to go down this road, and maybe it's an annoying road, but I just want to hear what you have to say. Because I made a joke on Twitter last night, but it was kind of a half joke. So I got home last night, and I watched the Oregon game, Arizona State-Oregon game. And to me, I was thinking, if this is what people think is the fourth best team in the country, or a team that could make it into that final spot, how many touchdowns would Penn State beat this team by? And... <laughs> An Oregon writer retweeted it, and my mentions were on fire. Yeah, how'd that go for you? It didn't go that well, but I thought it was funny because I was just kind of half-joking. But then as the game progressed, it's like, well, Penn State actually probably would beat them. I think on a neutral field, Penn State is better than Oregon, yeah. Yeah. I'd agree with that. So the reason why I'm, I'm bringing that up is, how good do you think Penn State is? Like, what is Penn State to you? Is Penn State a muddling middle-of-the-tier coin flip between Wisconsin, Michigan, and some of those other teams or in the Big Ten, or do you actually think they are a legit one of the top ten best teams in the country right now? Uh, they're probably top ten, but they're on the back end of the top ten because there's, like, there's a pretty serious drop-off after you get past like five or maybe it's six if I th- thought about it more. But I think they're probably like top ten to twelve Penn State is because they recruit that caliber of player. Their quarterback play was a lot worse than I expected it to be. And then James Franklin said afterward that Sean Clifford had been injured um, and his backup played better than him on, on Saturday. So I would probably knock – I would knock Penn State down a, a, a notch from where I thought it was coming into the game just because I was pretty unimpressed with this quarterback play and its offensive plan in general. Um, but that's not necessarily in the players either. But I do think it's the, it's the most talented team, like we said, that Ohio State will play. Um, if you were to take each team at its best on Ohio State's schedule this year, I think Penn State's the best team. Um, Better than Michigan? 
Yeah, yeah. Like I don't. I mean, Michigan's playing better right now, but if we're just talking sort of base level, I think Penn State's the best team. It's it's just a notch above athletically than than Michigan or Wisconsin. Because the thing about Michigan that I'm like trying to keep in the back of my head as we as we analyze this game and like think about how it might go is like Michigan is playing really well. They've adjusted their defense because of what Ohio State did to them last year. It seems like the offense is starting to take there with Josh Gaddis. When those two teams were on the field last year, Michigan looked so damn slow. And, like, they lost their good players that were on that defense last year. They have a lot of new guys on that defense. Like, I don't, I don't know if they could just run with Ohio State. And that, like, in the end might be enough. So, I think Penn State is has a greater ability to, for lack of a better word, run with Ohio State than anybody else in the Big Ten. And probably better than 90% of the programs in the country. So, yeah, I think, I think Penn State is – Penn State's not elite. I think there are maybe four or five elite teams. But whatever the rung below elite is, I think Penn State is probably in there. So beating a team that's in the rung below it, the way Ohio State did with all the mistakes that they made, because I would say that Ohio State made more critical errors in that game than Penn State did, aside from punting from the 36, which I think is you know, unforgivable. Penn State, <laughs> yeah, Penn State made um, strategical mistakes, not fundamental mistakes, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, and the pick at the end of the game that Justin Hilliard caught was probably a fundamental mistake in the fundamentals mistake category mm-hmm. but ohio state during the crux of the game when it was still in question ohio state was the one giving the ball away and they won by 11 and were never in danger of losing in my opinion so to me that would be a very good win and the reason why i'm bringing this up is because i'm sitting here looking at my laptop and i'm looking at a picture that adrian uh, audrey snyder who covers penn state for the athletic took and sent to us of julian fleming on ohio state sideline wearing a shirt that says Ohio against the world on it and the guy is from Pennsylvania and to me I know she led with some other sort of recruiting uh, anecdote about how Ohio State was taking um, pictures of recruits in the middle of a rainstorm at midfield while we were writing our stories last night it never stops at Ohio State but it just I wanted to make this point I would have led with Fleming I thought that was more of a yeah but I think everybody had it maybe I don't know that and I think it was like kind of staged like I don't, I don't know if he showed up in that hoodie or if like Legend Cavazos or even like Brian Hartline gave it to him to wear for the day. Yeah, I mean, even if whatever the guy was from Pennsylvania, ninety-two miles away from State College, I Google mapped it, and he is in Columbus, Ohio, against Penn State, wearing an Ohio against the World T-shirt as the number three overall prospect in the twenty twenty class. Until you fix that problem, Penn State, there's no gap closing. It's only getting wider. Um, and it's funny that you brought up Michigan because we're going to now change the entire crux from Penn State to Michigan probably, but I wanted to take a break here, Bill, and to remind the world that we are two sports reporters for The Athletic. And yes, we are. This is the free podcast. We do one on Monday and one for Thursday. Um, we wanted to thank you so much for listening to 4 to 6 with A and B. Please do us a wonderful favor and go on to wherever you get your podcast, Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, Wherever you get it, rate, review, and subscribe. And if you really love us, subscribe to The Athletic, www.theathletic.com slash 4-6. You get 40% off. Um, Speaking of Michigan Week, we are going to have a ton of coverage, both our wonderful vocal cords, but also some good writing, I hope. And, of course, we have counterparts uh, on the other end covering Michigan, Austin Meek and Nick Baumgartner and those guys. We are both going to be on that podcast this week. run past Michigan. So please check that out. And if you aren't subscribed and you're thinking about subscribing to the athletic, this is the perfect week to do it. Thanksgiving week, black Friday, there's going to be a black Friday deal with the athletic. Look out for it. I love Thanksgiving bill. You know what I realized? Um, I was looking at something today and the hotel that we are staying in near Ann Arbor, nearish to Ann Arbor. looks like it's next to a pretty giant size mall and we're going to be driving there on black friday the oh really yeah it's a nice hotel though i'm sticking with it it's called the henry yeah it looks like there's like a like an easton town center type of thing that's like right near the hotel interesting and if i were in columbus i'd be nowhere near easton on black friday is the black friday rush in the morning usually and then it dies down at night i don't know people go hard i also wonder what it's like now that people just buy everything on the internet yeah like i do 
I'm going Black Friday shopping at like five in the morning on Friday. I'm looking forward to it. That sounds terrible. <laughs> well, if Leah wanted to go, you'd go, right? Probably not. <laughs> um, so Ohio State, um, Michigan. Big game. The game, some would say. So I wanted to talk to you about coaching and coaching personality for a minute. Can we do that? Let's do it. And a friend of mine asked me a really good question, and I wanted to bring it up because I thought it might make sense for the podcast without scooping your story that you're writing this week. But he was talking to me about Ryan Day's personality and how Ryan Day seems generally kind of bland to the normal person who doesn't know him when you're judging him from behind a podium. And as you know, and as everybody that follows Ohio State knows, coaches at this program are judged by their success um, in this rivalry. You know, Urban Meyer throws around 7-0 and like it's Halloween candy every time he's on television. You know what was funny? Can I tell a funny story yeah. about that? Yeah, please. Um, and I think Sir Mandel might have, been, might have made a joke about this, but we were waiting for the elevator after the Penn State game, and there are two elevators, and there, oh, are, yeah. 800, there are 800 people in the press box. So there were like 50 of us waiting for the elevator to come um, to get down on the field before the game ended. And then Urban, who was up in the box and had to get down on the field to do his Fox postgame show, like came and went to the front of the line, whatever. And had a security guy with them. So then the elevator finally comes up after we're waiting, the doors open, and like Urban goes on, and then everybody who was waiting like rushes to get on the elevator, and the security guy stops everyone because Urban's taking that elevator down there by himself. So then the third of us have to wait for the next elevator to come up, and that elevator comes up. We all pile into it. People have to get out of the elevator. One of the people who has to get out of the elevator so that it can function is John Cooper. <laughs> and somebody said, John Cooper just got kicked out of the elevator while Urban got the ride down by himself. And I said, well, your record against Michigan matters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would have been like, come on, Urban, what do you need to go down? Why does he need to go down alone? The guy's a human. Like, it's a, he's a man. He can't stand in the elevator with three other people. I mean, if I had the power to kick everyone out of my elevator. <laughs> Just go I'd in the it. elevator. I would have been like, come on, look, guy, we're coming to the elevator. Maybe we're all he going to the same he, Maybe place. he would have let you on. He likes you. Yeah. Um, Contrary to what people might think. <laughs> yeah, it's unbelievable. People think he hates me. He doesn't. Um, but personality-wise, Bill, this is the infant infancy in which Ryan Day is going to start earning. Like, he's 10-0 and this year. 3-0 and as an interim. People love what he's doing on the recruiting trail. He's 11-0 this year. 11-0. All these games. Rutgers doesn't count. Um, and <laughs> But this is now where it, it starts to really matter, right? Yep. And what he does this Saturday, how he coaches that game, whether he wants to run the score up or if he loses or any other variation of the way this team, this game can end, it's going to have an impact on his personality. And right now, when you look at the three or four biggest names in college football, you have... Nick Saban, who is a drill sergeant, right? Mm-hmm. You have Dabo Sweeney, who is Mr. Charisma. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how to explain it's not it. A... It could be real. It could be fake. I don't know yeah. the guy. Everybody's best friend who makes his players ride home on the bus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Lincoln Riley's like the new wonder kid. <laughs> um, who am I forgetting here? There was one more. Uh, I don't know. Coach O. Everybody wants to play for Who's Coach a, O, who, by the way, will just say what monster. whatever the hell he wants. It's hilarious. We're not going to. I'm going to try. Can I do an impression or is that insulting? I don't think it's insulting. I love to hear your impression of Coach O. We're not going to celebrate. <laughs> I, can't, I, can't, I can't do it. But he said we're not going to celebrate Arkansas because Arkansas hasn't beat anybody in a long time. So, um, But basically... Ryan Day is kind of, for a lack of a I mean, Urban. Term, I guess Urban was yeah, the one he wanted to mention. Yeah, Urban was the one that I wanted to mention. He was like a powerful, suited-up CEO, right? And they all have their own individual, but noticeable, and um, they're known for these personalities. But what would you say Ryan Day's is, right? Because right now, from a fan watching his press conferences and still trying to really get to know the guy, I would say that, for a lack of a better word, he's kind of bland. So... Does, do you hmm. do you think that he has – and he's not bland when you're talking to him man to man. I'm yeah. just saying like he doesn't have a persona then, I think is a good word. Do you think that A, he doesn't have a persona or B, he does have a persona? And whether you pick A or B, do you think that starting on Saturday we're going to start to get who he is? And do you think that that is going to um, evolve as his tenure here at Ohio State evolves? Yeah, I think the the thing about all the people that you mentioned is that they've been around a long time, and like Urban and Saban and Dabo in particular have had the kind of success that puts you on pedestals and puts you in front of a ton of TV cameras um, as salesmen for your program and for the sport. And and Ryan Day's just not there yet. So 
the the sport as a whole, the country, however you want to label it, does probably not have any feel really at all for who Ryan Day is. Um, but, and that's that makes sense to me. And I think that'll come with time. I, I don't even think I don't even know if that's something that'll come this week, or I maybe mean, it'll come this year if they win a national championship. But short of that, I just think it's something that takes a lot of time. Like I don't like nobody knew who Urban was when he was at Bowling Green, and I get Ohio State's a bigger stage, but it just takes a little bit of time. When did people start to know who Urban was? Utah or Florida? Uh, I mean, I like guess because he, like took, Matt U- Campbell he, he took he took Utah to a beast to a. They beat Alabama under him, didn't they? They beat Alabama. Yeah. At Utah? Yeah. And what bowl game? I think it was the Sugar, Sugar bowl? bowl. Yeah, I mean, people knew who Urban was when he was uh, nearing the yeah. end of his Utah tenure and getting to Florida. 2009 Sugar Bowl. 31-17. Utah beat Alabama. What year? 2009. I, don't, I forgot that for some reason. Anyway, people knew who Urban was then for sure. And that was his fourth year as a head coach right no i think kyle winningham was the coach 2009 yeah i'm an idiot yeah that wasn't urban urban was at utah in 2004 2003 and 2004 sorry i was confusing him with florida he did beat alabama at florida yeah no i was confusing i was confusing utah and florida but utah did beat alabama but it was kyle winningham regardless people knew who urban was when urban was at utah because he was on a meteoric rise and going to take over a, a Florida program. I think, was he a household name? No, but I think he was known in the sport as, as a riser. Um, and even Ryan like Day. Matt Campbell, maybe. Yeah, even Ryan Day, when Ryan Day got promoted to Ohio State, I think a lot of people were like, who? He wasn't, I know they put the thing out there about Ryan Day like turning down a Mississippi State job, but Ryan Day wasn't a household name as like an up-and-coming coordinator, in my opinion. I think he was in Columbus, but I don't think that stretched very far outside of Columbus. So it's going to take time for the country to get to know him. But here in Columbus, and I think in, in the program, I think he does have a bit of a personality. And, and I think it might be some combination of all of those things that you mentioned. But if there's something that will come out about Ryan Day against Michigan, I think it, I think it will be that, that it's, he takes – obviously he takes great pride in this program, but he's an offensive guy first and foremost. I think he's very competitive – when it comes to facing great defenses or people who are perceived to be great defensive minds, somebody like Don Brown or somebody like Brett Venables if they were to play Clemson um, or Dave Aranda if they go play LSU. I think when they get into those kind of games, that's when you might see Ryan Day's competitive side, which is probably the dominant trait in his personality, even if he's not a guy who bangs his fist on the podium at press conferences. Um, so that can come out this week. I, I know that might sound a little um, – off given what transpired against Penn State because they weren't super aggressive. And I think playing that way greatly went against Ryan Day's inclinations, and he's kind of said as much afterward. Um, but I think it's going to come out against Michigan. I think there, there wasn't any point to pushing the pedal to try to blow out Penn State if you thought you had the game controlled. I think in the Michigan game, even if they find themselves in a situation where they feel like they have the game controlled, he will try to hammer that team. So do you think if they're up by 10 and they're facing a third and five from the opposing 40 in the third quarter uh, at Michigan, he's going to throw it? Run that by me again? I mean, there were times where it looked like Ohio State ran it when they should have thrown it in this last game, right? Yes. And you think that you can only play that way once? No, no. I th- I think you can only like empty everything in your bag once, and then it's like you're no longer surprising anybody. I think. So they you think there's going to be some bag emptying this weekend? I think I think we've seen an expansion of this offense over time. That granted was not always evident against Penn State, but they've been putting things on film all year. And I'm going to write about this about how Ohio State's offense. Yeah, teach your story, man. This is a different story. But I'm going to write about how Ohio State's offense has evolved from last year when they put 62 points on Michigan. But I don't. Th- Ryan Day very, very much played it safe against Penn State. I think because he knew he could. Penn State was never a threat to move the ball consistently in Ohio State's defense, especially after they lost its quarterback. It was clear from the jump they had no plan to attack Ohio State's defense. It was evident. Even if the Michigan game plays out the way, which I don't think it will, because I think Michigan's got a better idea of what it wants to do offensively. I don't think Ryan Day will play that way. He'll play to win the game first and foremost, but if he has openings to be aggressive and attack Michigan and bury them, I think he will try to bury them. You know, you know what I don't that's understand? That's personality trait. What I don't understand is, on one hand, 
Ryan Day will bring out Justin Fields in the third quarter when you're beating Rutgers by whatever they were beating them by. And it was so abundantly clear the game was over on one hand, right? Mm-hmm. And then on the other hand, Ohio State's up by two scores or less than two scores. And he doesn't run what he wants to run because he thinks the game's in hand. And it just seems like very conflicting ideologies. I don't think it. Uh, I think you have to. The first ten games of the year, Ohio State was establishing how good it is by burying everybody it played and taking extra steps, frankly, some weeks to bury everybody it played. And then when you get in a good game, which I think Penn State's a good game against a good team, it's a top ten team. All you have to do is win to clinch your spot in the Big Ten championship. You just do whatever you have to do to win. Because if you were, the, the game was weird. I buy the game was weird. They were fumbling the ball. Was un, they were making uncharacteristic mistakes. Started raining. It started rolling. Well, it rains, whatever. It rained against Wisconsin. They were fine. Um, but it, it probably contributed to the weirdness. It probably contributed to J.K. Dobbins fumbling with no gloves on. And then he put gloves back on when he came back up on the next drive. Um, I, I get the inclination to want to play it safe in a game that is just, it's a playoff game. The style points of it don't matter. You just have to win it. And if you think that your defense has things controlled and you can just run the ball and punt it back to them and pin it deep and they're no threat to score on you, I think that's the right way to do it. If Ryan Day would have played that way in a championship game, then one would have thought anything about it. But I think it's different in this Michigan game. I thought Ryan Day was the was going to be the reckless abandon at all, at all times guy. That's how you I, lose. Was, I was very surprised by that. I think he how wants is it to any be. more safe to, to punt or run in situations in the third quarter when you have a 10-point lead than it is to go for it when you're only up one score in the second quarter on fourth down twice when you could have taken a field goal on two separate occasions? Your receivers are dropping passes. Your quarterback wasn't particularly sharp. Your running back's putting the ball on the carpet. So is your quarterback. Your offensive line's not blocking great. There are a lot of things that can go wrong. You start putting the ball in the air. Run it, punt it, play good defense. They were they were zero threat. I mean, Penn State was zero threat to score on them if they had to drive the length of the field. Just like everybody else they played this year. That's why you do it. But he was aggressive at a time when the game was actually arguably more in, more in question than... Well, he was trying to get it to that point. To the point I mean, where you can't slow you, you, can't, you can't play like you have the game controlled at the beginning when you don't. Um, well, some teams do that. Penn State did it, right? <laughs> yeah, Penn State did it. Wisconsin does it. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, but I, I actually thought... I liked that. I liked. I thought Ryan Day with the large, ex- large exception of throwing that pass on fourth and five, where just looked like Justin Fields got hurt, like kind of pushed all the right buttons. Could he have been more aggressive? Sure. I think he definitely could have been. I think Ohio State could have gotten to a point in this game where they ran it up. They were getting to that point, and then yeah. Justin Fields fumbled the ball as he crossed the goal line. I think if you Justin think if Fields, score I think there? if yeah. Justin Fields scores that touchdown there, and it's fourteen nothing, the first two times Ohio State has the ball it is a very different game. But Penn State got new life from that play, yeah. and then was given even more life when Penn State put on the road. I feel like if they would have gone fourteen up, up fourteen nothing there, they might have won forty-two to ten. I think it was on the table. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. that first drive to me, the game was over after that first drive in my mind. They played you the come number in, one rush defense in the yep. country and ran it eleven times for ninety-one yards. Ninety-one yards, scored a touchdown, and they had zero passing yards on the entire drive. Yeah, but, it's a pretty good opening drive. You know, in, in, but I guess as we're we're discussing development, Bill, I'm just wondering if you think that he's going to have a different outward persona outside of just that, other than, or do you think he's always going like? No, I think he'll say things maybe he's reserved to say now, or he'll behave a certain way that he doesn't want to behave because, like, here, let's be honest. Now that we're talking about Michigan, Jim Harbaugh was yapping his mouth. Mm-hmm. from the second he got to Michigan, and guess what? That shit stopped. <laughs> and I think that it would have kept going if they would have backed it up. Yeah. And sometimes I wonder if coaches learn from that of, I'll talk shit when I want to, but let me make sure that when I do, you can't just say I'm 0-8 against top 10 opponents or whatever it was that Jim Harbaugh got to. And that's not a knock on Jim Harbaugh. I kind of liked that he was spicing the game up, gave us something to talk about. I think sports is about trash talk. I think you should be able to. I love what Ed Orgeron said about Arkansas. You know, talk. That's what we're here for. We're here to report it. I like discussing it. But I also do think that he might be waiting and might be more out there. Even, Even when you ask him, like, regular questions about like rule changes in the Big Ten. He goes, you know, well, I haven't been here long enough. To, you know, and I, I'm just wondering if he's going to come into his own. I think he feels like he is in his own. I Here's the thing. Like, he's pretty media savvy. 
he is coaching a program that found itself in quite the pickle last August because people were saying things they shouldn't have said, and that probably impacts the way he he answers yeah. questions um, and the way he's been coached to answer questions, I'm sure, by Ohio State. I just don't think he's ever going to be the guy who's out there at a podium like being Mr. Personality, even if it might come off as a little bit fake like Dabo or the opposite of that, which is Nick Saban. I think he'll always land somewhere in the middle. I think he's comfortable in the middle. I think the middle is actually who he is, and the middle can be very boring for people like us whose job it is is to write interesting stories about college football teams. But I think it plays within the within the walls of the building. Speaking of evolution, Justin Fields is, is evolving, right? This was the first well, game. I want to know what you think about his personality. Really? Yeah, well, you asked me about it, and yeah, I talked no, a long I, time I, about I, it. I want to know what you think. Yeah, I am... Um... Quick break here to talk to you guys about Roman. Talking about erectile dysfunction is never easy. Usually guys just brush it off or blame themselves saying things like, I lost my mojo, or they avoid the topic altogether. But with Roman, it's easy to talk about. With a real doctor who can prescribe real medication, it's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your own home. The doctor will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com AB and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a doctor and take care of it. Just go to GetRoman.com AB to get a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash AB for a free visit to get started. GetRoman.com slash AB. I think he's going to evolve. His personality is going to evolve once he has stuff under his belt in terms of accomplishments. And I think there's been a stark difference for us, Bill, covering this team this year in relation to the past. And it's funny because you and I both have had experiences with Urban in the time since he retired as head coach that we never would have had had he still been the coach. And you really get to know him on a different level because he's no longer in the thick of things, right? Mm-hmm. And But I'm, the reason why I bring that up is because Urban, from the second we both started covering him this year, was or his the second we started covering him at Ohio State, he was already a made man in college football. He got here. He was larger than life. He was a celebrity. When you were in the same room as him, he had that 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 aura about him. And I'm sure he's always had a aura like that to some extent, which is what made him such a great coach. But it gets bigger and bigger and bigger when it comes to on-the-field accomplishments. And as he got more famous and more successful and richer and all the things that happened to us, somebody that's in his position, I think that that wall between two people who talk – eye-to-eye, man-to-man, goes up and up and up until you're talking over the wall. And I feel like talking to Urban in a press conference is not like talking to Urban the way that you and I have in the time since he's retired. Now, when you flip over to Ryan Day, we're still able to talk to him eye-to-eye because he's still an everyman. He's still somebody who has been a coordinator everywhere he went. He's the guy that we used to text uh, when he was an assistant. You know, all these things that would, would occur. And since he moved from assistant to head coach, we had pre-established relationships and I still feel like I'm covering somebody who isn't famous yet. And I think human nature will take over when and if he gets famous and it might, he might be more at liberty to speak about things he's not speaking about, or if he feels a certain way about a team that they're playing, he'll say it or before or after. You know, especially if he continues to establish that this is one of the more talented programs in college football because he still has to do that stuff. But I think the worst thing that a coach can be is a loudmouth who loses. And I don't think he'll ever be a loudmouth, but anybody who says something out of turn looks bad. And, like, the same thing that will happen if LSU loses. Ed Orgeron's going to look stupid for saying some of the stuff that he said, right? We're going to own Alabama. We're going to own this state. We're going to kick their ass on the field. We're going to kick their ass in recruiting. Well, if they lose to Alabama next year, guess what? That's going to get thrown back into his face. These are all things that you have to consider, but I do think that we are watching the evolution of the legend of Ryan Day, who might be the next big Dabo Sweeney, Nick Saban-type figure in the sport, or he might be the head coach of the New England Patriots in seven years. 
We don't know, but we're seeing the beginning of it. And I don't think Ryan Day is going to be the Ryan Day we know in seven years. Um, I think I agree with that, especially if you have success because your personality changes. Like It's just unavoidable. Yeah, I mean, you what, just get bigger. But why... I'm just I'm a little curious as to why you brought it up. Like do you do you think this has some kind of impact on what he might be able to accomplish this year? I think what he he is right now is going to be more than enough to what he accomplishes. The reason why I brought it up is because in a world where we sit here every week and talk about the college football playoff and national championships and all this stuff, this is the first step on the stairway to college football heaven, right? If you're Ohio State's head coach you're playing at Michigan and if we're talking about the progression of this program under a new direction of the new head coach this is a huge hurdle for him in the step of building that legend so I was just curious beating Michigan yeah yeah beating Michigan of course you know and we did that stupid poll which I want to get to before we do it because did you see I redid that poll Mm -hmm. the results were vastly different this time question was different too wasn't it I think so no but we'll we'll get to that, and then we can talk about it. But I just thought it was interesting because we're, we're we're covering the evolution of a program in transition. But he might be a person in transition too. I think the Ryan Day we're getting is the real Ryan Day. We've had a lot of in- interactions with him when the cameras aren't on, and he's the same. You know, I, I think that he's he's, you know, this isn't a good, bad, or negative thing about him. I'm just thinking it's just interesting and cool to see him continue to cross these milestones, and this is going to be one of the bigger ones. Yeah. I, I'll be I'll be curious to see what he's like this week. If he changes at all, I don't anticipate that he will. But if he beats Michigan and beats Michigan the way that he wants to beat Michigan, maybe we'll start to see something a little different out of him when he's at that podium in Michigan Stadium on Saturday. You, know, you walk to the podium on the way to accomplishments, and you walk to the podium after accomplishments. You're different. Maybe he'll say it was a great win and it means a lot to us and we want to go to the playoff and all that stuff. But if he beats the shit out of Michigan, he might. I would not be shocked to see him open up a little bit. No, neither would I. Yeah. Can we continue down the path of evolution real quick? Let's do it. Justin Fields. This is the first time we saw his running threat. And I'm going to write about this tomorrow a little bit more. Um, in terms of just who he is, I have a story I've been working on. Or For Monday or Tuesday? Monday. So today. So today. Sorry. Um, he ran the ball 21 times. And I don't know how many of those were sacks. but I have the numbers broken down if you'd like them. Go ahead, Bill. Bill's always got the notebook open. <laughs> 21 carries in total. 16 called quarterback runs. Half of those were reads, where he kept the ball. <laughs> Your little papers. Two were scrambles. Three were sacks. So, straight up called Justin Fields' number to run eight times. Four quarterback draws for 41 yards. Four quarterback lead runs for 10 yards. That was a pretty ineffective play for Ohio State. But it came out of the gate that they were. it was apparent that this was going to be a Fields running day, right? Yeah, Ryan Day said that. Yeah, Yeah, and the two biggest running plays that he made on the first – drive that were I think 15 and 17 yard runs were scrambles I think did you grade them as scrambles let's see here uh he had I wish you guys could see the encyclopedia of Landis he had a draw for 14 yards on third and five he had a keep for three yards on the first drive on the second drive He had a keep for four yards. There was one in there that was like 22 yards. Where's that one? Want me to vamp? These eyes. <laughs> oh, this was on the fourth drive. So it was uh, the, the second touchdown drive on fourth and five. He had a 22-yard quarterback draw. Yeah. But as Ohio State starts playing teams um, that are more – physically gifted and talented and fast and strong and all that stuff that you get with all those things. I thought it was cool to see Justin Fields as a runner. That was the first game I would say this year where he was a runner too. Do you what were your takes of the way he ran the football? Um strength, speed, elusiveness, I thought he had all of it. In terms of a dual threat, I thought this was the first glimpse of how good he is at both. 
I mean, you take the scramble on the first drive where he evaded pressure and got a first down that kept their their drive alive to the 24-yard touchdown pass. He had to K.J. Hill that was out of a freaking cannon and was perfectly placed with a tight spiral. Is this like the first glimpse of like what Ohio State's actually got in this guy to its full extent? Yeah, I don't know. I feel kind of weird. I don't... Did you put him in your Heisman top three after that game? Yes. I'm like not there after that game. I thought he was okay, not great in that game. I don't know. It makes me think. It makes me think I'm off because he was he completed 16 of 22 passes. Did you not? Who was your Heisman top three? I put Dobbins in there. I thought Dobbins had a better game. Yeah, I put Chase Young first. And I put Joe Burrow second, and J.K. Dobbins third. I know, maybe I'm a hypocrite, too, because I took uh, Hurts out because his continued turnover problems in the in the late of games. Yeah. He threw a really bad pick six the other uh, the other night, and he also turned it over and almost cost Oklahoma games three weeks in a row. And I think, to me, that's a disqualification. And I don't know, maybe you can say that Justin Fields' fumbles are the same thing. I mean, he fumbled a touchdown. I thought this was the Mount first. Mount made a good play. I thought this was the first, even if it wasn't the best game, I thought it was the first real glimpse of the whole package. I thought it was a good glimpse of, can Justin Fields make some stuff happen when things aren't going well? 100%, I would agree with that. Um, I like don't think, if you want to list Justin Fields' best games, like I don't, this one might be like the fourth or fifth, even though he did run the ball really well. And when he had to, and he you, had to run tough for it. But I, I didn't think... I thought his decision making in the run game was like just okay. The draws were good. It was the first time he had to decide those whether are, to keep it or not. Those run. are relatively easy plays, I think, as long as they're blocked well. And the Ohio State did a good job of creating favorable looks for themselves on that play. That's the point of it. Um, there was a run. They ended up scoring on the drive, so it's going to sound like nitpicking. But before they scored on the, the second touchdown of the game, they were down in the red zone. They scored on fourth and goal. I think it was on third and goal. They ran that quarterback lead play with J.K. Dobbins blocking for Justin Fields. And, like, Justin Fields just made the wrong read. He cut his run inside when he should have cut it outside. If he would have cut it outside, I think he would have scored. And instead he got stopped and they had to run it on fourth down. I mentioned the the bad keep that he had on the last drive of the game. That's whatever. Um, I thought there were one or two other bad reads from him. And, you know, I mean, I, I'm, I'm nitpicking the guy. But I don't think it was a flawless game. He obviously didn't have to be flawless for them to win. I thought he was tough. I think I've continued to be impressed by that, like Ryan Day said. When they got him, they weren't sure of that. I wasn't sure of that either. I wasn't sure how willing he'd be to go get tough yards just because he hadn't really had to ever in college or, or probably even in high school all that much. Um, but he's done that for this team, so that was impressive. But That's what know, I thought was so awesome. I didn't come away from it thinking like, whoa, Justin Fields, look out. I just thought like, you know, good game. Could have been better. Good game. That's what I thought was so great about it, that it wasn't great and you could still get a sense of the talent oozing off the guy. And maybe I, yeah, he had some underthrows too. Yeah. Hey, did you, when we argued a little bit about the Olave, not argued, but we had banter about this, did you rewatch that? And like, because him and I, oh, I'm the surprised. touchdown, the no, touchdown I'm still, to Olave, I'm still trying to figure out whether he underthrew that or if you thought it was the perfect pass. He underthrew it, but the ball placement was good. So it's like somewhere in the middle. I still, I'm still not 100% sure he could have led him because of where Olave was on the field. So I think that was a good throw. But he had two other underthrows. He's underthrown a deep ball in, a, in, I think, every game this year. Well, he was overthrowing in the beginning of the year. Yeah. Now he's underthrowing. He's got, he's got to find that. He's got to find that wheelhouse. But they also, they don't, I don't think they do him a lot. I think it's hard to, to find a rhythm with them when you don't stretch the yeah. field that much. And part of it's the way teams are defending them. But I just think it's hard. I th- they, he got so comfortable throwing those outside hitches to the far hash because he was doing it 10 times a game. And these deep balls that they're trying, they're just the openings aren't there to, to get as much work on them as you need to get. Because Ohio State's receivers are getting behind the defense. I think I would disagree with that. Are you serious? Regularly? I don't think so. Every time the ball snapped, got, the defensive backs back up 15 yards before like anything happens. I feel like in every game there's been at least one instance where somebody is running five yards behind the defense. And yeah, I feel I like I you need to hit the, I don't you, know if I felt that. You know, maybe your view, because like, I feel like at Ohio Stadium the view of it – is different, but I feel like they're doing it. You know, maybe that'll be a good thing to look back at, see who's right. But I feel like the opportunities have been there. But you know what I realized? Hmm. Because I was walking out of Ohio Stadium, and I always like reflect. There's another year of you and I walking out of the stadium. It's another year down. That was a really fast year, right? But 
I don't think either of us wrote a big Justin Fields story after a game this year, which is very, very <laughs> weird, isn't it? Like to think that you have this interesting young first-year transfer quarterback who could be a generational talent who I believe in my heart right now will be a top-10 pick next year um, after his wow. junior year. Type raise. He's going to be. Mark it down. Write it down. Write it down. Put it on, Write it on your wall. I don't run out on paper, but like – you know, the number one thing in the NFL is um, physical attributes, right? Guys get overdrafted all the time because of that. And I think he's going to have the numbers and the physical attributes and be a combine monster. I think he's going to be a top ten pick. But I didn't write any, you know, usually there's a takeaway. I want to see what he's writing. Hold on a second. I'm writing down the date and the time. 6.59 p.m. on Sunday, November 24th. Ari Wasserman declares Justin Fields will be a top ten pick in 2021. What are you going to do with that? Probably lose the paper and forget about it. <laughs> but we haven't written about him, so. Yeah, I can't remember if I have or not. You didn't. I went back yeah. and looked. I read about him during the week. Yeah, we've written about him during the week, but usually, like, the easiest thing to do is go talk to the quarterback and write a story about how good he played. Well, it's always been so hard is because he's put up crazy numbers where you're always hesitant. They were like, oh, my God, look at this thing that Justin Fields did because, like, the defense that they've played haven't been that good. I think he could have wrote it after this. I, I had a whole story. There was, there was idea. a lot. There was a lot to assess off Justin Fields after this game, and and much of it good. Like I don't. I, I feel bad. I feel like I was talking him down. Like he had a good game. I just didn't think he had a game where I was like, "Yep, that's a top five player in the country." If you go back and all of the listeners, please do this. <laughs> go back and listen to our podcast post the FAU game, and then play this one, and then that would be a surprise for you, huh? Yeah, except that I'm making the comment off of a actual real football team, and you're like, "He sucks." They could have wasn't good enough against FAU. <laughs> But, as we always say as reporters, we have the right to tell you what we think, and then we have the right to change our mind when new information presents itself. And I thought that the new information is pretty staggering, that I was wrong at that point, and now I have a new opinion. I don't know how many minutes we're into this, Bill. 53, 54. So we have like three to five to eight more minutes? Yeah. Because I think we need to talk about the playoff and the dynamic of this game. And maybe give a prediction, or do you want to wait till Thursday to do that? I think we're too far into it. We got to dig in on this game a little bit more. We'll do that later in the week. Okay, but this is the first Michigan game on off the top of my head until you tell me that there's a game that happened in 1938 that whatever I don't know in the modern history of this game where Ohio State can win a national championship while losing to Michigan. Do you believe that's the case? And does that change anything about this game to you? No. I I am separating those two things for the week. Because I don't want to diminish the Michigan game in any way. Because I don't think it is diminished. It is true that Ohio State can lose and still get the Big Ten Championship and win that and get to the playoff and do whatever comes after it. 100% true. And if they lose, we'll talk about that when we get to it. But So I can't write that? I think you can write it. I'm just disagreeing. I'm I. I mean, I wrote it two years ago. I wrote something about how the Michigan game is different than it used to be. So I'm not going to write that, but I am very interested. I think the dynamics of the season are yes, different. that's what I'm saying. I don't think the meaning of the game changes. Yeah, I just don't know if the dynamic of the game, which is another synonym for what you're already saying, but like if I did a poll last night, Ohio State fans on Saturday night, excuse me, I keep doing that. Ohio State fans, would you rather lose to Michigan and make the playoff or beat Michigan, lose in the Big Ten Championship, and miss the playoff? 61% of 3,600 people said that they would rather lose to Michigan and make the playoff. What was that again? 61? 61% out of 3,647 people. And I think that that result is different than a very similar or identical question that I asked when we had this debate two months ago. And I, you said to change it to win the championship in the first one, and I still kept it at make the playoff. And the last time I did this, I think 80% of the people said beat Michigan, miss the playoff. And I just want to remind you that I think people at times are very persuaded by what's going on in the moment, and they don't know what they want until they're faced with it. And this is a staggering difference in the result of the first poll because now we're in Michigan week Ohio State has a national championship to play for and Ohio State fans would rather play for the bigger picture than beat Michigan according to this poll 
And I think that changes the dynamic of the game a little bit to what it used to be my entire childhood. Until they lose. Until they lose, and then it sucks for a week for them, and then they go play in the Big Ten Championship yeah. and make the playoff, and it's not a problem anymore. I'll be curious to see if it's – it's not a – It's always going to be a problem. keep playing football games. Like, it's not going to change anything. But, like, 61% of the people choosing lose to Michigan and make the college football playoff suggest that, like, if Ohio State loses on Saturday, people are just like, whatever, and that's not going to happen. No, I'm just saying the playoff is now more important than beating Michigan, and that wasn't the case. There was no playoff. Well, it's but, more attainable. Like the accessibility is higher. Because I think before, the prize before is it was like before before it felt like less in your control. I think to get to a national championship or to win a national championship before it was like it was voters and then it was the BCS system and it's like you can put yourself in position to get there, but it's harder now. It's easier to get there, so it makes sense to me that that the championship might have moved up a notch because it's more attainable. I feel like winning the championship would be the would be the bigger prize because it is harder. I disagree with that. I think people would pick the championship because it's harder to do than beat Michigan. People chose make the playoff. I think making the playoff is a bigger prize in 2019 than beating Michigan. I don't think it is. Making the playoff? I mean, 61% of 36. Yeah, I mean, it's a Twitter poll. Like, There's people on there who believe like the president's an alien. Like I, like I know what you're saying. Like it's yeah. it's unscientific, and like I know that in the moment after Penn State or Ohio State clinched the spot in the Big Ten championship, that's what people said. I don't think it's true. I think people would rather win a national championship than beat Michigan. Absolutely, 100. percent They should make the playoff open ended, which means you could lose. I don't think like at the yeah. end of the year, their, their their answer will change. Back in 2006, it used to be win the Big Ten or. Put yourself in a position. What was the? It was the tree from the trussel tree. The, the the tree of the trust was play good early, get to Michigan with the chance, or get to November with the chance to compete for the Big Ten championship. Beat Michigan, win the Rose Bowl. That used to be the old standard of a perfect Ohio State season. Mm-hmm. That standard has shifted now. Beat Michigan is obviously still a huge part of that list, and Ryan Day and the staff talk about it every day. But I sometimes wonder if it's different. Maybe it's not. I don't know. But I think if it's held up in comparison to winning a national championship, I 100% agree with you. If it's held up in comparison to, like, well, whatever, we made the playoff successful season, I think that's way off. I think if Ohio State Ohio State beat Michigan last year, won the Big Ten, and missed the playoff, and the season felt like a failure to me, that would have been the perfect season in 2007. They got everything that everybody wanted to do last year. They won their conference. They beat Michigan. They beat their rival, and they won the Rose Bowl. Is that what the is that the season everybody wants? I don't know. I'm, I, I it's it's hard to get a gauge of 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 that exactly. I don't know. I don't know what I I I'm, I, I hesitate sometimes to say like this is what Ohio State fans want because I just don't know if we actually have yeah. a firm grasp on that. But it's a podcast, and I don't know. Spo- I, I hope don't they're know. either screaming at the radio or going like, "Yeah, yeah." I don't. I'll be interested to hear the feedback from it if people thought last year was a failure. It's also it's always hard too to like. It's put not it in, the standard. I'll tell you that it's hard to put it in context too when they're as good as they are right now, like on their yeah. own the cusp of potentially winning a championship. Like it looks lesser than compared yeah. to what they might do this year. And every um, team has its own context. You're right about that. Yeah, but nevertheless, regardless of whether or not they'll make the playoff, I think right now, if we assume Ohio State wins the Big Ten, regardless of their path to winning the Big Ten, I'm saying 95 percent in, no matter what, as long as they win the conference. Mm-hmm. Is that a fair assessment? I think the only way it's it's lower is if it for some reason goes off the rails against Michigan and they get just blown off the field. And, they, and then even then, you still might need some other stuff to happen to knock you out. But, yeah, I think as long as they win in Indianapolis, they're in. So Ohio State's quest to win the Big Ten in the national championship is in a very good spot. A better spot than it ever could have been imagined before the season started. Mm-hmm. Um, Michigan is a big game. Ryan Day cannot and does not want to, as you will know and are writing about, want to start 0-1 against Michigan. Um, this is still one of the biggest rivalries. It's Thanksgiving week. Everything's right there. This is a big week. Ohio State absolutely wants to win. Is there anything else that you wanted to talk before we wrap this thing up, baby? No. I, I, I would like to have some more in-depth talk about the matchup, but we can do that later in the week. Sure. Do you think we should do an emergency podcast? Right now? 
just like start a new one and then put yeah. it up. Or um, Bill and I are going to be giving you guys coverage through the written word <laughs> all week. Thank you so much for listening to the latest edition of Four to Six with A and B. Please, if you are listening to it on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast, like, rate, review, tweet, send, share, whatever you can do on those apps. And, of course, please subscribe to The Athletic, www.theathletic.com slash 4-6, 40% off promo. Uh, Bill and I will both be on the Nick Baumgartner, Austin Meek Run Past Michigan podcast this week. Black Friday deals are coming up this um thanksgiving and the day after thanksgiving um i had hurts and i think we've had enough so thank you again have a good rest of your week and we will see you soon and i'm awkward so awkward As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.